And we'll begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is the word of God. Amen. We're nearing the end of this letter uh, to the Ephesians, but in this, this final section that we're working through, we're seeing how being filled with the Holy Spirit has its effect on our relationships, especially those that are closest to us. We saw the command back in chapter 5, uh, verse 18, not to be drunk with wine, but rather to be filled with the Spirit. And without re-preaching or re-re-preaching that sermon, uh, I just want you to remember that being filled with the Spirit doesn't have so much to do with capacity. You, you have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get because when you were born again, God gave you His Spirit. But it's about control. Who has control over your life? And if you're a Christian, friends, every day we ought to seek to be fully surrendered, fully yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit, that he would be the one who has say-so over our lives. And when we do, we'll see that generally, uh, in, in the general sense, being filled with the Spirit has its effects in, in our singing, in our thanksgiving. We have attitudes not of grumbling and complaint, but gratitude, and also in submission. Submission to one another, verse 21 says, in the fear of the Lord. Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit submit to one another. That's what we're called to be and what we're called to do. Now, we saw last week in verses 22 through 33 of chapter 5 that this submission has its place first off in marriage. Husbands and wives submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. In marriage, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now that's a tall order. That's something that's impossible to do in the strength of our own flesh. And so in order to accomplish that, in order to live out the God's calling on our lives in marriage, we must be, it is only possible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is by His power in us. So then picking up today in chapter 6, these first four verses, we're looking at family life the Spirit-filled family, and specifically the relationship between children and their parents. And listen, you parents know this, and you children ought to learn this, that the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit is just as necessary in that relationship. Christian children of any age, whether these little ones here, and I like that on Ephesians 6 day, children obey your parents. They sat right on the front row here. They want to make sure that this gets heard. Children obey your parents. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to really obey that and honor God. Children of any age, whether you're young or nearing adulthood. And in order for Christian parents to properly relate to their children, guess what? The need is the same. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must live in his power and not in the strength of your own flesh. 
And so as we look at this today, I want to give you some reminders again, just like I did last week with marriage, that this applies to all of us, not just those of us who are in the thick of it right now raising children. If your home includes that parent-child dynamic right now, whether uh, the children are young or nearing adulthood, this passage has direct application to you. So as you hear this today and as we look to the Word of God, if you have children at home, listen. Obey it. Children, listen. Obey it. Do what God's Word says. Now, if you're at a place in your life where you don't have any children, but you're sure that you will someday or you plan to someday, guess what? Listen and obey it because you'll need it when the time comes. Prepare yourself now. And if you're in a stage of life where your children are grown and out of the home, or maybe you've never had any children at all, guess what? Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4 still has application for you. It still has implications for your life. You see, you need to know how to encourage and to pray for the families around you. I don't know if any of you have noticed. I say that sarcastically. Every one of you have noticed. The family is under attack in the world. Not only by the world itself, but, and it's not just people around us, but our enemies. Our, our enemies are not flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual powers. Satan himself is out to destroy families because of what God's design is for families. God desires to carry out his, his mission in the world through healthy families who make up healthy churches. And if you don't have kids at home, if you're out of that season of life, guess what? We need you. We who are in it right now need you to encourage us. We need you to pray for us. We need you to give us advice. And guess what? We don't want your opinion. I've come to this conclusion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've just decided that no one actually knows how to raise children. Nobody. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You just do the best you can. You pray hard and depend on the Lord. They grow up, and, and by the time they're out of the house, you think, you know what, I actually think I would know how to do that if I had to do it again. But then your advice doesn't work on anybody else because their kids are different than yours. So nobody knows how to raise kids. That's just what I've come to. But we need godly examples. We need holy men and women who love the Lord and know His Word who can come alongside us and encourage us and pray for us. That's what we need. We need godly examples who can point us to God's word and help us apply it in our homes. So the principles in this passage apply to everyone in the home, but Paul specifically addresses children and fathers. Children and fathers. So how does God intend for children and fathers to relate to one another? And that's what we see in these four verses. So there's two main sections here. The first one is this, children, honor your parents. Children, honor your parents. Now, how many children are in the room. Raise your hand. Ah, some of you are catching on. All of you should raise your hand, right? Because all of you are someone's child. Children, obey your parents. Now, I think this command to obey your parents does apply to any age of child who is living at home. If you're still under the, the roof of your parents, this command applies directly to you. Hear me very clearly. Children, Look at me, Joel. <laughs> Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Now, a lot of times whenever uh, parents come along and they tell you what to do and they'll say, go do this or you ought to do that, what's a common response? Why? Or when they get a little older, says who? What's the basis for this authority? We want to know why we have to obey the commands that we're given. We want to know, does this person telling me what to do actually have the authority to do so? And what is the answer to that to all of you children living at home? If you want to know why you should obey your parents, you should do it because it's not merely the commandment of your parents, but it is the commandment of God. Obedience to your parents is obedience to God. Kids, do you want to know what God's plan is for your life? Teenagers, early 20s, wherever you are, still at home, you know what God's plan for your life is right now? Your number one act of obedience to God? It's your obedience to your parents. It's to do what they instruct you to do. Now, of course, there is the exception of if they command you to sin. But most of you here at church this morning, I don't think your parents are going to be in that boat. But your obedience to your parents is obedience to God. Now on the flip side of this, I want you to hear me well in this too. Rebellion against your parents isn't only rebellion against your parents. But because God has commanded you to obey your parents, when you rebel against them, you are also rebelling against God. That makes it a lot more serious, doesn't it? We, 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 we might look at our parents and think that they're not that scary. We can get by with this. We, we kind of have an idea of how they're going to react. So we, we might ignore them and rebel against them and not do what they tell us to do. But listen, there is a God in heaven who made you. He made this entire universe. He is powerful. He has the ability to step on us and squash us like ants if he pleases. And rebellion against your parents is rebellion against God. Sin against your parents is sin against God. Now listen, all sin needs to be repented of. When you recognize your sin against God, whether you're an adult or a child, when you recognize your sin against God, the right response is to repent, to come to God for forgiveness. And when you sin against your parents, you need to come to your parents and tell them you're sorry and you need to repent and seek their forgiveness. But you need to go to God and you need to say, God, I'm sorry for not listening to my parents. I'm sorry for not obeying. I repent. Please forgive me. And there is plenty of grace to go around for disobedient children. Praise God for that. Amen. Children, obey your parents. But he, he, he roots it in the, even in the Ten Commandments. The command that God gave back in Exodus, verse 2, he says, Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. So you can obey your parents without honoring your parents, can't you? Now, you can't honor your parents without obeying them. If you disobey, you're dishonoring. But you can do the things that they tell you to do outwardly without honoring them, having respect for them, giving them the reverence that God expects you to give. And let me say this too. This applies even to those who are grown and out on their own. My dad's my neighbor. Uh, I, pros and cons, okay? My dad, I, love, I love my parents. And, and it's great, especially, you know, to have my kids close by. They can run back and forth and enjoy being with their grandparents. And, you know, whenever I moved out of his house and into my own, even though we didn't go all that far, that command to obey my parents sort of gets limited because now I've left father and mother and I'm holding fast to my wife and have my own home. But whether or not I have to obey my father living outside of his home, guess what? I still have to honor him. 
I still have to honor my father and my mother. I cannot disrespect them, talk bad about them, and, and just give them down the road when I don't agree with them. And friends, that applies to all of you, whether you're at home or not. That commandment still stands to honor, to respect your father and your mother. You say, well, you don't know my father and mother. They stink. They were lousy parents. Guess what? The command still stands. There is no exception clause that God gave in his command. The command stands to honor your father and your mother. Now, in Mark 7, Jesus actually showed how this applied in a, in a very specific way. In Mark 7, the, the, the Pharisees were coming along and were telling people that they, had, or they were promoting more of the commandments of men rather than the commandments of God. And in verse 8, he says just that. He says, laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and, and many other such things as you do. He said, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. That was a problem with the Pharisees. But he makes a specific application. He says in verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Praise God we're not under that anymore. But you say, he says to the Pharisees, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then you're no longer, you no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So the problem was this, is that commandment to honor your father and mother includes taking care of them when they're old. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they get older and we say, oh, we're busy with our own lives, we don't have time for you, but actually they are a priority that God has put in your life. It might be inconvenient at a time. But I've loved being able to see some of you experience that stage of life and do it with such grace. Taking care of your parents when they get to a point that they can't take care of themselves. In Jesus' day, the people were coming along and saying, well, I've got money that I would spend to take care of my parents, but I'm actually going to give it to the work of God instead. That's ridiculous. Because the work of God first happens at home in taking care of those people that God has entrusted to you specifically. So kids, you honor your parents now while you live at home and you obey them. But guess what? When you grow up, you don't get to stop honoring your parents. And then when they reach a certain point, you honor your parents by taking care of them as well as they've taken care of you. And the command comes with a promise. He says that at the end of verse 2. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, my dad used to tell me that verse was there because if I didn't honor him, he'd kill me. So if I would obey and honor him, then, you know, I might live a long life and things would go well for me. This isn't an absolute across the board promise that if you obey your parents, you'll have a long life. But it is a, a, an acknowledgement of the fact that when you obey God, you live in the realm of his blessing. It doesn't mean that you experience no problems and that everything goes well for you for your entire life. But it does mean that whenever we obey God, live in obedience to him and keep his commandments, we get to live under the outpouring of his blessing on our lives, whatever shape that may take. So children, honor your parents. That's the first part of this. The second is this. Fathers, nourish your children. Fathers, nourish your children. He says in verse 4, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I have so struggled with this verse this week. 
I, I struggle with this verse every week, but when it's at the, it was right in my face every day when I come in here to study and prepare a sermon to talk to you, it starts hitting home really close. He says, do not provoke your children to wrath. Why do you think that he would lead with that? Because it's what we do. <laughs> Don't do things that will only make your kids angry. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you tell them to do something that's right and they ought to obey and, you know, don't do anything that'll never make them mad. That's not what he's saying. But don't do things that'll only end in making them angry. Rules in our home. Guys, listen, I struggled to write this down this week, okay? Rules in our home shouldn't function merely to enact our preferences. When we tell our children what to do, when we set standards and guidelines in our home, those things should not function just to make our kids like the way we want them. Or so that the things in our home go according to our control. And we like to say that we're just being firm parents who want to teach our children to have discipline and to do what's right. And that's true. I believe that that's true for most of us. But how much of what we do, how much of our strictness is really just a desire to maintain control over the people in our home and the environment that we live in? So don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't do things that merely make them angry. Let me say this too. Don't try to clone yourself in your children. Try it with your wife. Try to make her just like you and like everything that you like and meet all of your preferences. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have tried that? How'd it go? It didn't. Why? Because she's her own person. She's an individual. She has her own likes and dislikes, her own preferences. She is made in the image of God just as much as you are, but she's just plain different. Your kids are too. They are their own individual persons with their own minds, their own bents, their own preferences, likes and dislikes, and they're not going to be exactly like you. I just heard somebody say, thank God, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't try to clone yourself in your children. They're individuals just as much as you are, and just as much as your wife is. Let's just be frank. Sometimes we talk to our children in ways that we wouldn't talk to anyone else in our lives. We don't talk to our wives. We don't talk to people we work with, people we are friends with, anything like that, because we want to maintain that level of control. And you know what we're doing? We're just provoking them to wrath, just making them angry. That's what we shouldn't do, but then there's the positive, what we should do. Focus on bringing them up in the Lord. He says, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Of the Lord. You see, our goal isn't to recreate our children in our own image, but it is to lead them into conformity to Christ. 
It's not to make our kids like ourselves, but it is to help them live in a way that when they leave our home, hopefully they are believers and they look like Jesus. That's our goal. That's our desire, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not of our preferences, but of the Lord. To nourish them, he says, to, to bring them up, where he says bring them up there, it's the same Greek word that he used in chapter 5 and verse 29 when he said nourishes. He's talking about a man and his wife. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does his church. So the responsibility that you have towards your wife to nourish and to cherish carries over also into your relationship with your children. To nourish them, to build them up, bring them up, to Train them and admonish them, he says. Bringing them up, nourishing them involves training. Now, training has to do with discipline, correction, chastening. Now, we could take this, do not provoke your children to wrath, and overcorrect and not train or correct. We have to discipline. That can't just be thrown out the window out of fear of provoking them to anger. Proverbs 13, 24, this is not politically correct, y'all, okay? This is Bible. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod, what does it say? Hates his son. Whoever spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him Promptly, Discipline is a necessary action in the home. And you do that. I'm not telling you how to do that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Now, some people will say, well, that's not very loving. That's kind. I want my kids to know that, that their parents on their side, that we're friends and, and we love them. But listen, let me tell you, nothing you do will ever be more loving than what God has commanded you to do. Don't think yourself more loving than God and that you have a better idea than what he had when he wrote the book. Don't throw out God's commandments. If you don't discipline your children, you hate them. I don't hate my kids. I love them. That's why I don't want to discipline. But listen, your children, no matter how much you love them, if you don't discipline them, they will grow up just like those whose parents do hate them and didn't discipline them. The outcome is the same. But if you love your children, you will discipline them promptly. Listen, this is exactly how God deals with his children. You know this if you're a Christian. Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6, he says, My son, do not despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, and scourges every son whom he receives. Friends, I don't, I don't have to ask for a raise of hands because I know the answer. How many of you have been disciplined by the Lord? Oh yeah, that's all of us in the room if we're saved. If you've not been disciplined by the Lord, you're probably not his child. That's what the Bible says. God knows that we need to be disciplined, that we need to be trained in righteousness, that we need to be corrected because we don't get it right. And so it, just as God disciplines us as his, his children, so we as parents must discipline and train and correct our own children. Bringing them up, nourishing them, doesn't involve simply training and correcting them, but it involves admonishing. This has to do with instructing and teaching. Listen, if you only ever discipline and correct, but you never 
train, instruct and teach, your parenting will be very imbalanced. You have to have both, training and admonition, instruction, teaching. I don't often have you flip around in your Bibles, but flip to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. This is an important enough passage that you need to go there. Deuteronomy 6, God is giving his, his commandments to Israel, and he begins this way in verse 4. He says, hear, O Israel. Listen up, guys. This is important. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know what you need to teach your children? First of all, most fundamentally, that there is a God and that there is only one God. And that the Lord, the God of the Bible, is that God. Your children need to know that this world did not happen by accident, that we didn't just come out of nowhere, that everything that exists exists because God made it. We've had this experience with both of our children where we'll be go, uh, in, at night looking up into the sky or riding down the road just in the last couple of weeks looking at the leaves and they'll just say, God made the stars. God made the leaves out of their own mouths because they've heard that. They know where this stuff came from. That he made us, he made us in his own image to glorify him. Friends, your children need to know that there is a God, but not only that he is, that there is a God, but verse 5, that we should love this God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Friends, our children not only need to know that there is a God, but that He is to be loved. And you know where they're going to learn that? Not from you sitting down and saying, hey, now listen, I'm supposed to let you know that you are to love God. You can do that. But you know what a much better way to teach your children how to love God is? To love Him. Yourself. To show that you love God. That you prioritize Him. That He is important to you. That He in, is involved in every aspect of your life. Because you love Him with all your heart. With all your soul. With all your strength. He says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Verse 7, listen parents, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently. You can't do anything diligently unless you do it intentionally. You will not diligently teach your children to love God and obey His commands by accident. It has to be on purpose. You have to say, we are going to be a family that takes the Word of God, opens it, and reads it together. We're going to be a family that prays. We're going to be a family that's at church on Sunday no matter what. We're not going to say something else has come up, we've missed, we're going to miss church. No, we say we're having church. Sorry, we've got to miss this other thing. Let me go a step further. We're going to be a family that's in church on Sunday, and we're even going to come an hour early and be here for Sunday school because we value the teaching of the Word of God. For every age, 
We love the Lord that much that we're going to take two or three hours out of our weekend morning and come hear what God has to say from his word, and we're going to worship him. Your kids need to see you set that priority. When kids don't show up for church, whenever they get a little older and they have a little freedom and they choose not to come, I don't really get mad at the kids. I don't get mad at the parents either, but I hold them more responsible because you are the parents. You are the ones who have had these years to teach. Doesn't mean that every kid that's ever raised in church will turn out perfect. You know that well. But friends, do everything you can to put on display that your love for God and your obedience to him so that your children will see it and replicate it in their own lives. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. This isn't just showing up for church and making sure they're taught. This is just throughout the day, casual conversation. Now, none of us are walking on the way, but we do drive. When you're in the car in the morning, going to school or wherever, whatever it is you do, or running errands with your kids in the back seat, what kind of conversation is being had? We can talk about everything in the world, but friends, at least sometimes we need to talk about the Lord. Teach him what, teach our children what his word says. Take advantage of those opportunities where conversations just come up and lead right into a conversation about the Bible and about our Lord. He talks about this environment that they live in. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. We talked about phylacteries in Sunday school this morning. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making God's word a priority, keeping it in front of our eyes at all times. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What kind of environment do your kids live in at home? What kind of things are they being taught just by living in the house that they live in? What kind of things come through the television screen or through a phone or a tablet screen that contradict what they're hearing at church on Sunday and contradict those other conversations that might be having? Is there continuity in the home? Let's cultivate the kind of environment where we try to keep sin out, keep those evil influences out, and bring the Word of God and the truth in consistently across the board. Put bluntly, don't watch trash on TV. Oh, they're going to get exposed to it anyway. Well, yeah, they will, but they don't have to at home. They're going to end up seeing and this stuff and hearing these words you know, when they get a little older. Well, yeah, that's fine, but they don't have to right now. And they don't have to get it with your endorsement by leaving it on that channel. Friends, keep the truth of the word of God in front of their eyes as often as you can. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The key to this father-child relationship or any parent-child relationship is relating to one another those three words, in the Lord, in the Lord. That's really the only way that this works the way God intends. You see, both parent and child need to be saved. You, you both need to be in Christ. And, and if you're not, listen, you are a, a sinner. You know this. You, you're under the judgment of God. 
But God loves sinners and wants to save them. So Jesus came and he laid down his life on the cross and took the punishment for our sins on himself. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. He has the power to forgive sins and to give new life to those who repent and put their trust in him. And that's what you need first of all. You need that relationship with the Lord. And if you're a parent and your children aren't saved, you pray earnestly for your children until they've been born again. If you're a child and your parent is lost, you pray earnestly for your parents until they've been born again. Because this relationship only works the way God intended when both are in the Lord, when both are in Christ. Both parent and child need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even if you're Christians, we have to be surrendering ourselves to the control of the Spirit of God in our lives. Pray this for yourself and pray it for your children. That you will be fully surrendered to Christ and that your children will come to a point of being fully surrendered to Christ. Letting His Word dwell in them richly. Pursue that. I'll say it even to you kids. Pursue the filling of the Holy Spirit. Surrender yourselves to God. Say, God, I don't want to live for myself, but I want to do what you want. I want you to be in control of my life. And let me remind you of this before we finish. God has plenty of grace for your failings. Listen, when, when, when you feel like you've failed or that you are failing as a Christian parent, first of all, I'll say you probably are in your own strength. But God has more than enough grace to cover your failures as a parent. Some of you look back on, you know, the kids are out of, out of the home and you look back on those years and you have so many regrets and things you wish you'd done differently. Listen, God has grace for you. God does not hold your failures against you if you are his child. And two, I'll say if you feel like you failed to honor your parents. Maybe you regret some things you did as a teenager or a young adult. Or maybe your parents are gone now and you kind of hate the way things were left. Listen, God has plenty of grace for you. God does not hold your failures against you if you are his child. He says if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are in Christ, that's your identity. You have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. And there is more than enough grace to cover your failures. I think we come to a passage like this and we read it. We really just have to stop and pray. And our prayer probably needs to just sound like this. God, help us. God, help us. You know, who is sufficient for these things? I know I'm not. But I have the Holy Spirit of God within me, and he's helping me. And he'll help you as well. So let's bow together, and let's do just that. Our Father, it's so easy to hear these words and to feel the weight of guilt. As both a child and a parent, I look at the way I treated my parents sometimes, and Lord, I regret those things. And I look at the way that I'm parenting my own children now, and Lord, there's things I regret even now. 
but I praise you that our identity isn't in how our kids turn out or how perfect we were as children ourselves. But if we've been born again, if we are children of God, we know that we have a perfect father who loves us. We have Jesus, our high priest, who has cleansed us by his own blood. And our standing with you is perfect. We are wrapped in his righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would remind some people of that this morning. Lord, we just rest in you. But there are ways that we need to change the way we're doing things. There are children here who are disobedient, perhaps even living in rebellion against their parents. God, I pray that you would bring them to repentance and salvation. Lord, there are parents here who maybe are failing in the training and admonition parts of parenting. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to make those changes that we need to make. And Lord, may these who have gone, who have already gone this road ahead of us come alongside us and encourage us, pray for us, and instruct us that we may be honoring to you in our family life. I pray that this church would be one that's made up of spirit-filled families. In Jesus' name, amen.